Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It is so good to have you here with us today. I uh, really do appreciate you listening in. Really does mean a lot, and uh, I dig you. I want you to know that I'm proud of you, and uh, I believe in you, and I know that you are someone who listens to the show because you believe in doing work that you love, and that's what we are all about here on the How Did You Get Into That podcast. So every single uh, week, we're interviewing people that are doing something interesting, something unique, something that's just kind of like, wow, how did you get into that? You know, and some of the people we talk to and we interview, maybe people that you're you're interested in learning from, people that you want to maybe build your business or career in a similar way. Maybe you're going like, I don't necessarily want to do what they do, but listen, if they can figure out what they want to do, then surely I can figure out what I want to do. And so today's guest is no exception. Today, we're talking to my buddy Cole Hatter. Cole is a uh, had his hand in a variety of different things. He's a uh, entrepreneur. He's a speaker. He's a real estate investor. And in fact, if you're interested in real estate, also make sure that you stick around for the bonus material. Cole and I, we talk a lot about his story and journey. But then afterwards, in the bonus material, we hop back on the mic for a few extra minutes. We talk about real estate investing, how he kind of got started. And for someone that may be interested, in that, we get into that as well, and maybe what some of those first steps would be, some advice, some tricks of the trade, you might say, that he would recommend. So make sure that you download that. You can check that out at grantbaldwin.com slash podcast. Again, that's grantbaldwin.com slash podcast. All right, without any further delay, my friends, let's get right into it. Here we go. Here's my chit-chat, my conversation, my dialogue and conversation. I said conversation. Forget it. I'm just, I went on too far there. Should have just left it alone. Should have stopped it. Conversation. Uh, let's get into it. Here we go. Here's uh, my conversation with Cole Hatter. There, I do it again. All right, play the music. No, there's no music. Wait, there is music. Ah, just get to the interview. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, I'm joined by Cole Hatter, who is a uh, entrepreneur, speaker, all-around good dude, and uh, excited to share his story and journey today. So, Cole, what's up, man? How you doing, buddy? What's up, Grant? How you doing, bro? Excited to hang out with you today. It's going to be a good time. So you've got your hand in a lot of different things. You've had your hand in a lot of different things over the course of your career. So give us kind of a snapshot of what, like, what is your business like today? What is it that you do? So today I'm investing in real estate. I'm investing in businesses. I do a lot of angel investing. As a matter of fact, I just wrote one of the largest checks ever yesterday evening up in West Hollywood into a company I'm investing in. So kind of got my my start in real estate and have evolved into other things. I do a lot of professional speaking right now as well, where whether it be showing up and doing a one-off or actually getting contracted to speak for a bunch of different companies. Like you, I enjoy using my mouth to help teach people, right? To be able to, with my words, empower someone to learn something they never knew otherwise is, is something I'm super passionate about. I didn't know teaching was something that resonated so deeply with me until I started doing it. And so I spent a lot of time on stages. Actually, in the last three years alone, I've been on stage over 2,000 hours collectively nice. traveling around the country teaching people. So obviously, that's a a huge part of what I'm doing professionally as well. And then um, I always introduce myself by saying I'm also a husband and a father because my wife and baby girl are the biggest and most important things in my life right now. So when I'm not making money, I'm uh, the total dad, total husband guy that uh, just loves playing with my family. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way, man. I uh, you know I dig the entrepreneur scene and I dig what we get to do, but the things that really really matter is being a husband and a father. I've got three little girls, and I don't know, man. Something about having little girls just kind of uh, like jacks you up in the best possible way. 
Okay, but three little girls, dude. All right, so I'm already stressed out on my little girl, right? <laughs> how, how do you do it with three? What age are your girls? They're uh, nine, six, and four. Okay, so you're about to enter the teens in just a few years, right? Yeah, we, we got a few more years. We're holding off as long as possible. But, I mean, if ready or not, it's, it's happening. So you, you can't slow down father time. So, uh, But, man, it is, it's a phenomenal. But it's also just it's such a balance because I'm, I'm guessing you're in a, in a very similar spot where you want to be a successful husband, you want to be a successful father, but you also have this drive to just like, I dig what I do. You enjoy what you do in terms of being an entrepreneur. So how have you found to just kind of balance that out? Totally. So... Yeah, I also work from home. I mean, I travel obviously to speak and and to do a lot of my business interactions, but the majority of my weekly quote unquote grind is from home. Yeah. And so, you know, I've just had to draw real, real strict boundaries because when it's two PM on a Monday and baby girl comes running into my office and wants to go swimming in our pool or something, I gotta be able to say no, which is almost impossible to do, tell my <laughs> daughter no. But uh, you know, it's 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 a work in progress. It's probably one of the areas in business I need to grow because I naturally I mean, I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and everything's hustle, hustle. He's, you right. know, he's like, I work 19 hours a day. Well, you're having a cocktail hour. I'm still at work and that's why I'm as successful as I am. And I look at that and it's inspiring. But then at the same time, if I could get paid to just hang out with my family, I would figure out how to do that as well. Right. So it's it's just trying to figure out a balance and it's it's a work in progress. I guess it's just an understanding my wife and I have that uh, you know we're blessed financially in the sense that she does not need to go and have a job. I'm, I'm the sole provider for our family. And so knowing that that's a requirement for us to live the life we live, we, we just draw boundaries, but we have literal like times where even if I've got a lot of work, but I said today I'm wrapping up at three and that's quote unquote family time, I don't fudge that and say, hey, babe, I, I need an extra hour. Let's let's make it four. Stay strict on that to make sure that my family's there because I have mentors and I have looked into the future of men and women who had good intentions, wanted to make a lot of money to give their families the best life that money could provide and at the expense of having a relationship with their family, that best schools, best educations, great homes, safe neighborhoods, yet they were an absentee husband or wife, father or mother. Right. Again, trying to provide, yet at the same time being gone. And I don't want to make those mistakes. And so, you know, it's just a matter of knowing the business is important, but also that my family's why I'm working and so to make them the priority. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. In fact, one of the things I say a lot as a speaker is that who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning if you make a lot of money, if you're an excellent speaker, if you're an excellent podcaster, if you're an excellent employee, if you're an excellent fill in the blank. But if we drop the ball as a husband, as a father, if, as a mother, as a wife, if we are a shell of a human being, like it's just not worth it at the end of the day. And so yeah, I, I totally dig that. So let's backtrack a little bit here. I know you're out in sunny California right now. Did you grow up out there? Yeah, I was born and raised in Orange County. It's where I am now. I've, I've moved around a bit in my late, I mean, after high school, but uh, I ended up coming back to Orange County where it all started. And dude, I just, I love SoCal. I love surfing. I love the beach. And no matter where I live, the waves call me back. So yeah. this, is, this is home and probably where I'll uh, probably be my primary residence forever. Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? I did not. No, both my parents had jobs growing up. And so uh, Actually, my dad became my business partner. Um, when I sat him down and pitched him on my very first business idea and asked him to do it with me, uh, obviously he committed and quit his corporate job, which is one of my biggest prides that I was able to not quote unquote retire my parents because I made so many millions of dollars, I bought them everything, but I was able to retire my dad from corporate America by creating a company that he partnered with me on and more than you know financially covered his expenses so he was able to quit his job. And so that was his first move into entrepreneurship. And what's interesting is my mom has since become an entrepreneur as well. So 
looking at us now, everybody has their own business in my family. Yet, you know, just 11 years ago, both my parents were working full-time jobs. So it's an entrepreneurial family now, yes, but not growing up, no. So you had your hand in a lot of different businesses, you know, in the past several years. But like, where does that come from then? I mean, if you didn't grow up in that, like, what were there other examples that you saw? Or like, where did that kind of get in your blood? Yeah, total accident. So I actually was a firefighter. I just growing up, I wanted to do something. You know, I've got that philanthropic bone. God put it on my heart to want to help people. And I was evaluating careers where I would see a measurable difference in other people's lives while getting paid for it. And so I looked at potentially being a doctor and saving lives that way. But I was afraid of going to that much school. I looked at joining the military, but I think I'm just too selfish. I wouldn't want to be shipped off for a year or so. Yeah. I looked at being a police officer, but I got in too much trouble. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't a, you know, girl up, nothing major, but whatever. I was, you know, just getting in a little bit too much trouble to be a cop. And so firefighting is what stood out to me that I could literally, oh, save lives, play with fire and that someone would pay me for it. It seemed like a dream come true. And uh, I did that. I got in a really bad car accident where I was ejected and thrown from the vehicle going about 80 on the freeway and got really hurt where they actually had to shut the entire freeway down in both directions, land a helicopter and rush me to the hospital via helicopter because I wouldn't have survived in an ambulance. Even when I did survive, they weren't, or sorry, when I arrived to the hospital, they weren't sure if I'd survive or not. Obviously, I did survive, but my best friend in the world who was driving the car did not. Wow. And so that kind of was an aha moment, wake up call that I shouldn't be alive. And the most important person to me passed away. Two months later, I got into a separate accident where my buddy and I, I was in a wheelchair for a while. At about the two month mark, I got out of a wheelchair and onto crutches. And my buddy said, hey, let's go ride dirt bikes. You, you know, he's, I was depressed. And I was still recovering from that accident. He's like, let's go ride some dirt bikes since you know, we'll be mellow. You can't really walk, but you could sit on a bike, no problem. And he and I fell into a mine shaft out in the middle of the desert. It was a bad story because I was able to grab a bush on my way down and climb back out. And we had to call 911. And six hours later, they got to the bottom of the hole. It was 780 feet deep. He fell all the way to the bottom and didn't survive. And so wow. at 21 years old, two months apart, my two most important people to me in, in my life passed away in accidents that I was in and really screwed me up for a while. And I was still not physically capable of being a firefighter. I actually had to move back in with mom and dad because I couldn't even feed myself. Yeah. And so while I'm living at mom and dad's house, still physically broken and then totally emotionally broken through everything I'd gone through, I was to finally to the point where my recovery had gone along to where people said, hey, you know, it's, it's time to get back on your feet. You've got to start moving forward in life again. You can't sit here depressed forever. Go to school and just kill time taking classes, and then maybe you'll find what you're passionate about in school. But that didn't resonate with me because although corporate America is a good fit for some, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. And the idea of going into student loan debt to get a degree to hopefully find what I wanted to do along the way, just it didn't seem like a good fit. So I said, screw that. I'd rather just start making money right now while I figure out what I want to do. And my next door neighbors of my parents' home were a real estate couple. He was a real estate broker. She was an agent. They were doing very well financially. So I said, screw it. I'll start with real estate at first. And while I'm selling houses, making money, then I'll figure out what I'm passionate and what I want to do instead of you know paying for college classes, right? And I started doing real estate as a realtor and then learned very quickly that the money's in investing instead. So took my dad out to lunch one day and said, hey, dude, I want to start a real estate investment business. I want you to be my partner. He agreed. I'm giving you, obviously, the cliff note version. There was a lot of learning curve in there as sure. well. But uh, we got started in the right place at the right time in 2005. And so I don't know if you know much of what Southern California real estate was doing in 2005, but it was exploding. And 
we made an insane amount of money instantly. We were just in the right place at the right time. Grant, our strategy was buy a house, count to 10, and sell it for 100 grand more than we paid for it. Like, <laughs> That's crazy. I was 23 years old, having six-figure months, having no idea what to do with all that money. So naturally, I blew it all, right? I mean, I'm right. buying multiple Escalades and putting five TVs in them because one's not enough and getting $100,000 board boat, right? And just going through the motions. Well, 2007 turned into 2008, Real estate collapsed, our economy collapsed, and all of a sudden I wasn't making money anymore. So I had to learn pretty quickly that you know being able to buy a house in an appreciating market is easy, but I needed to learn how to make money in other areas, not just real estate, and how to make money in real estate even when it's crashing. So invested in a mentor, kind of diversified a little bit, which I think is a huge blessing. I lost everything in the crash. And not in the dramatic way where cars are getting repossessed and homes are getting foreclosed, but I had to fire sale everything. I had to lower my my overhead to virtually nothing. And right. so I'm selling everything, my boat, my cars, literally downsizing to a manageable overhead where I could barely squeak by with what little bit of profits I was able to get out of my real estate business at that time. And that learned that taught me to diversify, and that was kind of baptism by fire. And so started investing in other areas of real estate and then started investing in other things like businesses, et cetera, and really developed my quote-unquote entrepreneurial skill sets in that season where once things started recovering 2011 and 12 with what I'd learned and the relationships I'd built while I was down, you know, it's, they always say it's not how hard you, you fall but how quickly you get up. Now that I was recovering, I've since made way more money than I ever have and I've diversified a bit. So without having an entrepreneurial background, the question was, how did I get into it? It's a total accident. I was living at home with mom and dad in a wheelchair and had no other options. I had to figure out how to make it on my own. Turns out that uh, I had an entrepreneurial gift and I've just ran with it. And I think the thing that really has been a huge contributor to my success outside of you know my mentors and working hard is just that I have an insane work ethic where when I focus on something, I give it my all and no amount of failure or no amount of hearing no's bothers me. If I get 49 failures and the 50th is a success, cool, then that's all I needed to do. And I just, I just keep moving forward. Crazy. You covered a lot of ground there. Let me back up for a second because you, I want to go back to whenever the, those two accidents where you're definitely physically just messed you up, but also can't imagine emotionally and psychologically how that, that affects you of losing two of your closest friends. So I'm assuming a lot of people that may be listening to this, maybe they haven't been in a similar spot where they've lost someone in that type of situation, but we've all had crap happen. And so whether someone's going through a bankruptcy or they lost a job or they got laid off or they got downsized or a business, was, like in your situation with the real estate, like business was going well and then all of a sudden like the bottom just dropped out like how do you even begin to like pick things up and move on from there when you're at uh what you know would arguably be the the lowest of lows and just a, a back-to-back one-two punch type fashion so for me it happened on december 18th the car accident was september 10th the motorcycle accident where we fell into the mine shaft was november 14th literally 64 days later and i went into this really dark place dude where starting about November 15th through December 18th. It was about a 30-day stretch there. I was still on really heavy pain meds from mm -hmm. my car accident, like heavy narcotic stuff, like hydrocoding, Vicodin stuff. And I figured out that if I took my pills and drank a ton of hard alcohol, I could knock myself out. Mm -hmm. I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't trying to hurt myself, but I, was, I didn't want to be alive. So I figured, hey, if I take these pills and drink alcohol, I would literally pass out at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I wouldn't wake up until like 11 a.m. the next day. And so that's how I dealt with it initially was to just kind of put myself to sleep and like self-medicate through my pills and alcohol. And I realized that day on December 18th that 
I was completely wasting my friends' lives that because they didn't die in a war for my freedom or for a cause, they were taken in two stupid accidents from people being careless. Uh, the car accident obviously uh, was caused by another driver, and then the uh, mine shaft was because a company dug out all the silver and just left a hole and didn't put a fence. So people's carelessness, I felt like robbed and stole my friends from me. And I realized that by just getting drunk and taking pills, I was doing nothing for their lives. So the big click and the big switch for me was realizing that I've got to do something with my life to make their lives matter. They both died at 21 years old, and that's not fair. But I still have some time, so i got to make the most with my time I can so that when I get to see them again and I'm face-to-face with my creator, I can point back at my life and say that I, I gave it my all. I used everything, and I did it for you guys. And so that click in my mind of realizing, you know what, I've got to carry the legacy for three now, so I better get to work ASAP, was how I channeled my depression into action. And that was more therapeutic for me times a million than taking pills and drinking. So I immediately stopped taking my pills and stopped drinking and all that and started focusing on how I can make a difference. So I started a nonprofit. Um, Another part of that was I got super involved with my church. You know, I grew up not in a quote unquote religious background, but always a church going family. And so I, you know, I started going there a lot and that was helpful for me because I think the biggest part of what church did for me is I started volunteering in the youth group and I was 21 years old working with high school kids that were only, you know, two to five years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And as I was their quote unquote youth leader, they actually did more for me than I did for them. So as I was pouring into other people and starting my nonprofit by helping others is how I essentially helped myself. And, you know, it's kind of cliche and you hear that a lot. And it's easy to write it off because Tony Robbins and everyone talks about the secret of living is giving. But the only way I got out of that dark place was I stopped focusing on feeling sorry for myself and started focusing on what positivity I can make with my time. And as a result of helping these high school kids and helping around the world with my nonprofit, one little chip at a time slowly removed from my shoulder where it took a long time. But all the way years later, I'm, I'm at a place where I'm, I'm recovered emotionally from that. And of course, I still miss my friends dearly and would get them back in a second. That's not an option. So I just do the best with what I have. And that transition of instead of feeling sorry, actually going out there and doing something meaningful with my time is the only way I ever got out of that dark place. All right. Now, all of that sounds like well and good, but I, you know, I, I hear a lot of times people giving that same type of advice, whether it's the Tony Robbins or whoever, saying like, instead of focusing inward and how do you kind of rebound, begin to look outward and then begin to count your blessings and begin to help other people. And again, that like that sounds great, but like when you're at the lowest of lows and you've lost two best friends or like life has just beat you up and you're supposed to be giving to something, someone else or to helping someone else, like I, I've got nothing to give. So how do you begin to pick up what little pieces you remain and give those away when you're trying to like, like just pick up your own life. Sure. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know how to answer that. And on a, on a broad scale for me individually, I didn't even know I was doing it. So here, like, cause it makes total sense, right? When you're in, my cup was empty. So how did I have anything to give to others? Exactly. Yeah. I was just occupying my time with trying to be positive. Like literally I was so depressed sitting at home at my parents' house because I couldn't even walk, right? I'm in a wheelchair. So I couldn't leave unless somebody came and picked me up. I wasn't even allowed to drive. I had so much brain trauma. I wasn't even allowed to drive a car for like a year, right? So, you know, I, I brushed over that, but I was super banged up. My brain would have been swelling. I was bleeding out of my eyes and my ears, like gnarly stuff. And so I'm sitting there in this depression and literally the way it worked for me was someone from the church said, hey, dude, do you want me to come pick you up on Wednesday nights so you can at least come to the high school group and hang out with these high school kids? And I was like, well, I've got nothing else going on. Fine. And then just started helping them. And all of a sudden, when my story of what I'd just gone through 
and yet I'm, you know, I'm still okay, started inspiring them, I started immediately getting back, right? Like technically on the outside, you'd say I was investing into them, but it came back tenfold. And so I got a little bit better. And then there are a lot of organized groups out there where people can plug into and participate, NGOs and nonprofits that are already established where you can just go and volunteer. There's a million of them. And so I got addicted to what it felt like to me to see my story or my experience be better for others. And so I just started doing it slowly. And it wasn't like I flipped a switch. I mean, the date that I made the decision to do this was December 18th, but December 19th, I wasn't any better. I just said, okay, I can't feel sorry for myself anymore. And it took about a year but how to do that on a global scale and tell people who are in a bad spot to change, I don't know. What happened for me was I just started moving forward and the pieces all came together. It was right. simple as just I need to get out of the house. And so instead of going to a bar and drinking, I chose to go to somewhere where I could be in a positive environment. And I think that that's maybe something that people can invest in is, is if you're in the spot where you've got nothing to give, you need to surround yourself with people who are caring about and investing in you and, and some type of an outlet to see that your efforts matter in some measurable way. Like I saw my life, you know, changing these kids and I have a couple of friends who we go down and we volunteer at a retirement home right down the street where we just go play card games with the elderly and seeing their appreciation because their families have abandoned them because they have dementia, Alzheimer's and they're too quote unquote inconvenient. Yet they totally remember how to play poker and stuff <laughs> and just hanging out with them. It's not that hard to give back. I think people assume you have to start like the Red Cross. Like just being in a positive environment, I guess, is what kind of spurred it. And one day at a time as I started healing, you know, I started getting more and more active in that to where I finally started my own nonprofit and now travel the world giving back. So, right. you know, it was it happened to me accidentally that somebody offered to take me to the church. And then it just grew from there of being able to help others. And that's the only answer I can have is if you're in a place right now, whoever's listening to this, where you don't have anything left, you, you know, you're going through divorce or bankruptcy or you experienced loss like I experienced where right now there's literally nowhere to go. But in your mind, like you're hitting rock bottom. That's kind of a cool spot to be because you can almost do like a, you know, control alt delete restart in your life. And I would encourage whoever's listening to this, if you feel like you've got nothing to give do go anywhere like go somewhere where even if you're just literally filling up a cup of soup at a soup kitchen and just watching the people that you're feeding that otherwise have nothing something magical happens in all of us the way that we're wired that it's therapeutic you don't even have to go into conversations you're like cool i'm so depressed i don't even want to talk to people cool just serve them a warm meal and watch their gratitude in their faces and something about that starts healing from the inside and the more you do it the faster you recover yeah, nice. I dig it. So at that point, you're kind of licking your own wounds and you're trying to, to get back on your feet there. You Instead of doing the college route, you decide to do real estate. I know you mentioned that you've got some neighbors that were successful in real estate, but I mean, you, you could have done anything, you know? So like, why real estate? Was it something that you were like, yeah, there's the opportunity there to make money, but like, as we both well know, like you could do something to make money and still like hate what you're doing. So was there some type of existing passion there or something where you felt like you've, you brought some type of skill set to real estate or of all the different options? why real estate? So literally, it was just because the next door neighbors were doing it. Obviously, I knew that there was money in real estate. I'd been not interested in pursuing it. Remember, I wanted to be a firefighter, right? And right. so I had never, real estate was never on my radar. But obviously, being you know an American, you see that what homes are doing. And 
statistically, real estate has created more millionaires than any other product, industry, or service in our country, just based on net worths of people having equity in their homes. And so I knew that there was money in that industry. I also knew that it was a lifestyle that I could enjoy, although it wasn't an industry I'd ever wanted to do. Being outdoors, being my own boss, not sitting at a desk, staring at a computer screen, which I actually don't have a problem with, but I thought I would because, you know, being a firefighter, I'm working with my hands, I'm out in the real world. I was afraid of sitting at a desk, staring at a screen, which being in real estate and being out and about, I didn't see that being an issue. And so I literally did it as a temporary gig. I said, okay, this is what I'll do to get back on my feet until I find my quote unquote something. And what I found pretty, pretty quickly is that although real estate wasn't and still isn't my passion, it's the thing that funds my passion. Now, I always call it my vehicle. That, you know, I know a lot of people that whatever they're most passionate about have built careers around. I'm still to this day and have never been quote unquote passionate about real estate, but I got really good at it and it gives me the time freedom and financial freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with who I want for as long as I want. And so I fill my free time with living in my passion, whether it be giving back through my nonprofit, traveling, etc. And so I've found real estate accidentally, I stayed with it because I figured that it gives me the time freedom and financial freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do. And then I've since started businesses that I am extremely passionate about. And obviously my nonprofit I'm, I'm most passionate about. But I mean, just to answer your question, it was just one of those things where I knew that it was an industry that when done correctly could be done profitably. So I said, hey, I'll make this a quote unquote temporary gig until I get back on my feet again. And so much opportunity and so much money came from it that here I am 10 years later still doing it. Literally, I celebrated my 10 year anniversary last month. June of 2005 is when I started. June of you know 2015 was last month. And it's been 10 years now that I've been doing real estate. And today it's only a, a fraction of what I'm up to. I'm up to a lot of other things, but it was my gateway in entrepreneurship that, that gave me the ability and the, I guess, expertise to be able to transfer into other areas of business that I love doing today. And it's why I became a professional speaker. 90% of the topics that I talk about from stage is how to build a business around real estate and how to be successful at it. And now people pay me an insanely you know, large amount of money to go and teach others around the country how I got to where I am in the real estate community. And so if my next door neighbors weren't in real estate, I might not have ever done it. Obviously, I knew the power of it prior, but seeing their lifestyle, their their million-dollar home, their cars, and being 21 years old, broke in a wheelchair, that was all I needed to say, okay, I'll do this for now and see what happens. And, I, and I, let me be clear, I don't hate real estate. It's just not my passion. I enjoy it. And so it's it's enjoyable work that gives me the ability to do what I'm most passionate about. So how do you balance that 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 balance of passion and profit? You know, of like I want to do something I really really enjoy, but at the same time I also want to eat and live indoors. So there's always that balance of like uh, I know a lot of people would rather make less but love what they do versus making a lot of money and hating their life. So how did you kind of find that balance with real estate? Of uh, I knew that there was an opportunity. I knew that this could be very very lucrative. I'm not super passionate about it, but there is this opportunity that exists there. So like what advice would you give to people today of just as they're a approaching different types of careers, businesses, opportunities that exist of balancing the profit side of it with the passion side of it. Sure. And to each person's industry, I guess that's different. The beautiful thing about real estate, especially at the level I'm doing it, primarily what we do is we buy, fix and sell houses like flipping homes. Right. And uh, where we're doing it, you know, your profit margin after all the dust settles is a lot of times between 50 and 100 grand. And so you don't need to do too many of those to be making multiple six figures or even seven figures. Now, that's easier said than done for a lot of people who don't understand the real estate industry. But I implemented a lot of automation where I was able to make the type of money I wanted to make with the free time to focus on things that I'm most 
you know, passionate about like traveling, et cetera. And so for somebody who's evaluating an industry like I did that might not be their quote unquote passion, like, oh, I've always wanted to be a, oh, what's something that might be a passion only and doesn't make a lot of money. Like I'm, I've always wanted to be a professional surfer yet. Right gosh darn it, you know, Kelly Slater, I can't really compete at that level. Well, then you don't need to be surfing to get paid necessarily, right? Because let's be real. I know a lot of people get very rich off of their number one passion, like Kelly Slater, who's arguably the best surfer in the entire world, gazillionaire now, starting companies now, and it was all through surfing his passion, right? Well, I'm not good enough to get paid what Kelly gets paid to surf. So I surf for fun. I don't get paid to surf. It is my passion. Something about being out in the water and the waves is therapeutic to me. So that's my quote unquote passion. Yet if I was working 80 hours a week, 90 hours a week in my real estate business, I wouldn't have time to go paddle out. So it's a matter of finding work that's enjoyable enough to you, structuring your business in a way that you are not owned by your business, but you own your business. And I know, Grant, you know what that means, right? Like sure. so many people dive into entrepreneurism and then find very quickly that they're regretful of their own company because it literally owns them. And if anybody's ever in that position of being overwhelmed that you're working seven days a week to try to keep your company profitable, you need to evaluate what you're doing that's duplicatable or that you can outsource to some type of software like basic CRM for email management, whatever. And so I, I slowly started implementing those systems, softwares, or people into my business where even though I'm now paying for software and paying for people, it allowed me to generate more income then those things cost me and more time freedom, which is what it was all about. So that I could do the things that I am passionate about that pay me no money, like surfing, for example. And so there are a lucky few, and, and this isn't, you know, the minority. I know a lot of people that make a lot of money doing what they're most passionate about. Yet there are people like me who haven't yet figured out how to get paid for the things I, like giving back, right? I can't figure out how someone would pay me to go to Africa and build a well. But giving people clean water is one of my passions. Yeah. So what I have found is to leverage a vehicle, in my case, real estate and all business. You know, we've been focusing a lot on real estate. But like I said, today, that's maybe 15% of where I make my money. The other 85% is all in, all in business and in areas where I can make the type of money my lifestyle and my, my hobbies and passions require with having as little of time requirement for me personally being there as I possibly could to where I can enjoy the things like surfing or going to Africa for three weeks and building 10 wells and things like that. So, you know, for, for the person listening to this, okay, what advice or how do I implement this, Cole? You know, if you're not yet in a business, a great book to read is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, yep. where he talks about the difference between being a technician who does everything, a manager who has to manage the business, where if you left for three weeks and came back, you wouldn't even have a company anymore because it required you to management, versus the entrepreneur, where we can look at guys like Warren Buffett. If Warren Buffett took a year off and went back to you know Berkshire Hathaway, things would be right where he left it, if not more profitable. And so how does he or how do people, I mean, he's obviously an extreme example, but how do these... How do these CEOs and these entrepreneurs who run companies like that do it? And it's simple. They create systems where they're able to duplicate their own efforts so they can outsource things to whether it be actual software or like I spent so much time in email for people who are never going to do business with me. They found my website. There were tire kickers and curious but not serious. And I would go back and forth in dialogue with these people. I'd waste about half my day. I don't even talk to them anymore because I have basic CRM, you know, client or customer relationship management software that corresponds and interacts with all those people for me now. I spend zero time in that type of email. I only email people that I'm doing business with now. And so I found that I was making more money and having more time freedom. And so that's the approach people need to take, whether they're in business, you need to have an honest look at what you're doing that could be outsourced to someone else. Or 
if you're going to start a company, then you need to build it on systems and, and processes from day one. Again, the E-Myth is a great book to read to learn how to do that. So that whether you're making money in your passion or not, you have time to do the things you're most passionate about. Yeah, and I totally echo the value of, of the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal book that helps you. I, and one of the things I really value about it that I think is important for people to read is that one of the things we, we talk about a lot on the show is that not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. There's plenty of people that are great, great employees and want to work for companies doing interesting work that they really believe in and care about. But you know, one of the, the great analogies that Gerber uses in the book is the idea of baking. You know, And just because you can, you're a great baker doesn't necessarily mean that you should open a bakery. There's a whole other skill set involved with that that may mean that you're like, I'm, I'm an insanely good baker and I work for a company where I get to bake you know, bread or cupcakes or whatever. And that fulfills what it is that I want to do with life rather than feeling like I'm good at this. Therefore, I have to open my own thing. And a lot of people choose to go that route and that's great, but there's nothing wrong with being an insanely good fill in the blank, whatever that thing is that you do, that skill set, that gifting, that talent that, that you may have. To wrap up, Cole, I, I know that we spend a decent amount of time talking about real estate. And I think that there's plenty of people that may be listening to this who, who would love to know more about that since that's definitely something that you teach about. So let's do this. In the bonus round, I want to talk a little bit more about real estate for someone that may be listening to this going like, okay, I'm intrigued. I would love to get into it. I don't know a lot about real estate. I'd love to maybe not necessarily do it full time, but maybe something on the side. I've wanted to always learn about it. Maybe we can go through a couple of those entry level steps to just kind of get going and dip our our toes in the water there. So we're going to save that for the bonus round. We'll just tease that out for now. But in the meantime, Cole, where can we find out more about you if people want to check out what it is that you're up to? Sure. Yeah. Just my website, my name, colehatter.com is a great place to go. You know, the event that we're sponsoring as well out in Las Vegas, that's just thrivelasvegas.com. So if people want to see what I'm up to, Cole Hatter is a great spot for everything. Thrivelasvegas.com is the uh, real thing I'm working on now of putting on an event where all ticket profits go to charity. So there's something, again, that I'm passionate about is helping charity. So we're throwing an event where at the end of the day of recuperating my investment, you know, all the money above and beyond the cost of the event is going to a charity as well. So that's something I'm focusing and real passionate about as well. And that charity isn't just any charity. It's a charity uh, that we were mutual friends with. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So Wes Chapman, uh, the guy that actually introduced us, he uh, has started a nonprofit called A Human Project where he works with abused youth who are you know, cutting or suicidal. It's a pretty, pretty gnarly nonprofit that helps kids who sadly in their youth like teens feel like they, you know they can't go on and, and want to end their life and so he's got some pretty powerful programs and places and mentorship and in, in place to help these kids get on the right track of understanding that their lives are valuable and that there is a reason to keep living and so uh, like most nonprofits obviously the more money they have the greater their impact they can make and so uh, you know we're throwing this event and it's called Thrive where some of the greatest names and speakers in the world are coming out we got Gary Vaynerchuk we have Keith Ferrazzi who I was hanging out with last night uh, we have a ton of people James Altucher um, Dan Martell all these guys that are coming out to teach for three days where you know for anyone who buys a ticket when obviously I'm putting in all the money to do this but once I've got my money back and all the you know associated costs of the events are recuperated on my end, then every penny above that's going to go to West and a Human Project to help these kids who have been abused to to realize there's more in life than you know thinking they need to end it now. That if they could get the direction and the love basically that they need to to keep going forward, that you know there's crazy stories and within West's organization of kids who were you know this one girl without giving any names tried to commit suicide 17 times, mm-hmm. and now is thriving and is happy about life again. So if we can help contribute to a nonprofit that's doing that type of work, I'm all about it. 
Cool. And we actually had Wes on the show, episode 68. We'll definitely be sure and link up to that in the show notes. But amazing story that Wes had and, and what he's doing now with the Human Project. So really good stuff. So Cole, let's talk a little bit more about this real estate stuff for people that may be interested. And uh, we will stick around for the, uh, the bonus edition to talk about that. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. There you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat conversation with Cole Hatter. Really good stuff there. Again, I'd encourage you, if you're interested in real estate investing specifically, make sure you stick around. You download the bonus material. It's totally free. No strings attached. You can download that uh, over the show notes page for uh, this episode. You can find it at grantbalden.com. Hey, uh, if you're not already, we'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, Instaface, any of those places. Uh, we'd love to connect with you there. Uh, also, feel free to email me anytime. Grant at grantbalden.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know what you're chewing on, wrestling with, anything that we can do to help you, support you, find and do work you love. All right, my friends, that wraps up this episode. We'll be coming at you again next week with another delightful episode of the How Did You Get Into That podcast. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.